values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Happy Friday. Uh, we appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, I've chronicled on the air. I've talked about this many times. If it hadn't been for the trades, specifically the electrical trades, I would have been possibly, probably a statistic. I was kind of floundering at 18 years old and didn't know what I was going to do and fell into a job as an apprentice or a helper on a job site as an electrician. And it changed my life. From when I was 18 until I changed careers into this one, I was never unemployed. And for someone who barely has a high school diploma, that's quite a record. It's because the trades were so good to me, and it has been a passion of mine to share that with young people, that there is an avenue for everyone. And if you want to work hard and you want to learn and you want to feel good about a day's work where you can see the accomplishments of your labor, the trades are an excellent way of doing that. There's an event coming up. Arizona Construction Career Days is coming up. Joining us right now is the CEO of Rosenden Electric, Mike Greenwald. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's talk about this event. How long has this been going on, and specifically what's happening on these days? You know, I, I really don't recall when this started, but this is a, a great program that uh, we bring kids in from all over the state. Uh, they come in from, uh, uh, you know, pretty much everywhere. We've got over 4,000 students come in. They're going to meet with uh, uh, a little over 300 exhibitors, contractors, schools, uh, distributors. They learn about the trades. They get hands-on. In our booth, they can wire things up. Uh, other booths, they can they can go up into high lift. They can learn how to finish concrete. All in a day, they can learn about just about every trade there is. And it allows them to go forward in life and make choices. They, they can see what choices there are. What drew you to the trades? I mean, obviously, you are working for what has got to be the largest electrical contracting company in the country. What drew you into the trades? You know, you just told my story. I was an 18-year-old. Uh, all I wanted to do was work on cars and get a C grade to get out of high school. And uh, worrying my parents to death and uh, had a neighbor who was an electrician and got me into the trades. He got me in the electrical apprenticeship in 1979. Uh, I have a high school diploma and a journeyman wireman's ticket for my BEW 640. And I am the CEO of the largest privately held electrical contracting firm in the country. 8,000 employees and $2.8 billion a year in revenue. Thank you to the trades. Amen to that. It's interesting. I started in 1985 at 18 years old, got my journeyman's card uh, in four years, which was the minimum requirement. And in six years total, I was the manager of a small company. So it's so funny how our stories are parallel, that if you show up and you work hard, that you can accomplish anything in the trades. That the, it, Usually it's the people like you that are training the next generation, your hands-on experience being passed down to the next generation. Absolutely. Uh, you know, certified apprenticeships are so important to our country. They're so important to just American history, how we've built America. But, you know, every every parent really wants their child to go to college. Uh, we've recently, Rosen and his teamed up with Grand Canyon University on a pre-apprenticeship program uh, for one semester Young men and women that need to figure out where they're going in life can go into this pre-apprenticeship program, learn about the electrical trade, learn the basics. Uh, after one semester, they can make the choice. I'm going to stay in college or I'm going to, to go into this apprenticeship. Uh, I'm really excited about this because the stigma of construction, you know, not being the same as college. Uh, I think we found a secret sauce here that gives parents and, and young men and women the opportunity to make a choice. And 
There's not a better choice than being an electrician right now. I yeah. can tell you that. Yeah, I, I, I feel exactly the same way. One of the uh, journeymen that I worked for was a woman named Michaela. And at the time, it was so unique to see a woman on a construction site. How exciting is it to see that changing, that more young women are choosing this because the pay is so good and it's such a great place to earn a living for a, for a career? Oh, this is a listen. The career in construction right now has never been better for women in construction. You know, we we belong to NAWIC, National Association of Women in Construction. We sponsor a program that brings young uh, junior high girls into uh, summer camp and learn about construction. The trades have changed so much. It is a true profession. I mean, this is uh, I tell everyone you're an electrical professional. And uh, listen, it's a great time to be in construction, a great time to be an electrician. And young women out there, uh, parents, if you're listening, young women, if you're listening, do not be afraid. Uh, It's very welcoming and it's a very rewarding career. And there's many different places uh, where you can fit in. If you don't want to work with the tools, you can be an estimator or a manager. Let's talk about uh, pay scale. Entry level, someone that knows nothing but is a helper on a job site before they even enter the apprenticeship program in other trades, not just in the electrical trade. What kind of money are they making and what are you seeing for the journeyman in the field in electrical contracting and in other trades? Yes, you know, uh, apprentices across the board are pretty even right now. It's between 15 to $20 an hour. Uh, for apprentices coming in with with no knowledge, I know we start ours around seventeen sixty to eighteen dollars, and I find that most of the trades are in that same spot right now. Journey level electricians right now we're in the thirty five dollar an hour range for a journeyman, and then plus your benefit packages. Uh, really good journeyman, you know, if, if you're not making if you're not making north of seventy five thousand dollars a year with overtime, uh, you know, you might be working. You know, you need to find a different. Uh, uh, get some more overtime or find a different contractor because there is a shortage and we're paying uh, skilled journeymen, uh, you know, overscale. We're offering a lot of overtime. So, uh, but you start off around $35 an hour as a journeyman. If, um, if people are interested, can they sign up to be a part of this on November 2nd and 3rd or is it something that's closed off already? Uh, I believe, you know, this is for high school kids and, right. and there, there's a, I think you could probably go to the Arizona Construction Career Days website to see if there's still openings. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, we're getting pretty close up to it right now, but uh, I'm sure they're going to let some more in. It's a it's a great program, and we need as many young men and women as we can. So I believe the website for Arizona Construction yeah. Career Days could lead you to uh, how to how to attend if you're not already signed up. All right, it's azccd.com. That's az ccd.com. It's November 2nd and 3rd, 830 to 2. It's at Papago, which is a very cool military base, the Arizona National Guard at Papago. And it's what, 78 different businesses in the construction field assembled to give them a view of what they could do in their next phase of life. Absolutely. This is a phenomenal event. The the setting, the, the, the location is awesome. And I can say we're so proud to be there. We're going to have a great time. But every one of our competitors is there. It's a great atmosphere. Um, it's it's. I'll tell you, it's uh, we got a lot of people staffing this booth, and it's because they want to be there. They look forward to it. Mike, it really is a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, it's nice to talk to someone that understands the trades like I do, and hopefully we can entice some young people to choose that career because it's going to benefit us all in the long run, but to give them a chance at a career that would pay them for a lifetime, it's got to be special for you to be able to provide that for people. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I get chills talking about it. I'm, I'm getting, you know, towards the end of my career now, and I look back and I think about the things I've built. Uh, my poor son, I've had to drive him around Phoenix and point at all the things I worked on in the 80s and the 90s. Uh. Um, it's like nothing else. I mean, it's when it gets in your blood and the thrill of building things and the teamwork of working side by side with brothers and sisters from every trade. I, I, think, I love this business. I think you and I are related somehow. I've, I laugh on the air of driving around with my grandkids and pointing out the the PetSmart distribution center at 75th and I-10 and the other buildings and parking lot lights and things that I've worked on in my career. I still do it, and I've been out of the trades for over 10 years, but there still is a sense of pride and accomplishment when you see a project you worked on still standing, still operational, and realizing you were a part of it. I think you and I are cut from the same cloth. Yes, and you know, I, I really didn't have construction on my mind. I wanted to be a mechanic. I wanted to be a race car driver. I, I wanted to be, I was apprehensive at first, but after, well, after my first paycheck, it was pretty good. Yeah. And then um, just the, after a month of being side by side and coming home so tired, but I could actually, I learned so much and you learn something every day. Listen, we finish a job. There's really never an, another one exactly like it. So yeah, amen um, to that. It, it's awesome. All right, Mike, thanks for the time today. I wish you luck on this, and I hope it's a su- successful event. All right. Thank you very much for having me. All right. That is the CEO of Rosenden Electric, the largest electrical contracting company in the country. Uh, They have an office here in Tempe. Coming up in just a couple of moments, studies show Americans believe that the American dream may be out of reach for their children. We'll discuss that coming up. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We're going to get into the economy and talk about some of the things that are happening, but um, I want to start with this headline. This is from the Washington Post. Most Americans believe that the American dreams out of reach for their kids. Um, they want their children to have more success than they did, but a new Gallup poll finds they aren't optimistic it will happen for the next generation. Um, this is the worst possible um, news I think we can have on the economy. I've talked about hope in the past. As long as you have hope, you have motivation to continue. When we know things are tough, when you know when you're going through a very difficult time, but you understand that the end is near, that you can see the finish line. It's what motivates people to continue as it looks like the end is in sight. We've gone through the worst of this. We are almost finished. You are still beat down. You are still exhausted, but you feel as if you can get it done and things are going to get better. If you don't have any hope, Giving up becomes very easy. If parents believe that the American dream, if this Gallup poll is true, if it's not just a sign that things are getting kind of bad right now and people are worried, I I think what's going to be worrisome for all of us is why would anybody try? If there is no hope, why try? And that to me is the biggest – my biggest fear watching what is happening now is that people are going to – are believing that the worst is still in front of us. We're already underwater. Let's just give up. And I hope that's not the case. I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, the reality of financial independence is far different. If you ask most Americans, would say the outlook for the next generation is bleak. Only 42% of U.S. adults think it is very or somewhat likely that today's youth will do better economically than their parents. That's an 18% point drop 
since June of 2019. So I would say to you, uh, all the doomsdayers, and they are there, are doomsdayers at, at, all the time. If you're a Republican, um, if we reelected Obama, it would ruin the country. We'd never get America back. So from a Republican perspective, 18 months after Donald Trump was elected, we were roaring with an economy that we never thought possible. If you were a Democrat, it was if uh, if uh, we reelect Donald Trump, we'll never get America back. He's going to destroy America and our reputation around the world. Uh, that's just not true. It, it's not how it works. For the people that are saying now Joe Biden is going to drive America off a cliff and we'll never get it back. I don't believe that either. We are one of the largest, if not the largest economy in the world. Us and China, back and forth with the amount of, uh, with the huge economy that we have. We are, I believe, the greatest nation in the world. Our immigration problems prove that, that the world wants to come and live the American dream. We still are, as Ronald Reagan said, that shining city on the hill for so many. And I never want to lose that hope. And when you see Americans saying, because of how bad it is financially, the debt we've created as a country, the direction the economy is going, how expensive of things have gotten that their children won't have an opportunity to exceed them. It, it, that is terrifying for a parent. We all want to see our children succeed. We want them happy. We want them healthy. That's what we want. We want success for them. We don't want to see them struggle and make the mistakes we made. I think that's one thing parents across the political spectrum, across racial and economic spectrum, I think all parents look at their children and hope that their lives are better than theirs, that their child has a better life than they had. Now, I'll tell you, I've got a great life. I, ha I love my life. I'm not complaining about the life I have, but I certainly would like to see my children not make the mistakes I made. My grandchildren especially, I would love to see them in an atmosphere where they thrive. I've talked about my brother very often and his wife. Um, my, my brother Brian, my surviving brother and his wife, both are cops. And they've worked really hard their whole lives and they've done a great job raising their kids. And their kids now are all at that point in their life where they're starting to move on to the next chapter. My oldest niece is in college and working. My middle niece is in college and working. My nephew is in high school, but looking what he's going to do next. Watching them kind of spread their wings and seeing what kind of great people they're going to be is amazing. And you want that for the next generation in your family the possibility of recession i i, I want you to just be i, I gotta go i gotta pull away from this pie in the sky speech to let you hear what people are the things that concern you this is what concerns me this is the treasury secretary janet yellen and what she said about recession I don't see signs of a recession in this economy at this point we have unemployment wait a minute I want you to hear that again. I don't see signs of a recession in this economy at this point. Are you joking? I do not see signs of a recession. Now, if that's just somebody, if that's if that is a PR person or a spokesperson for the White House that's painting a rosy picture of what's going on in the economy, that's an expectation. You expect them to say that. The Treasury Secretary just said she doesn't see signs of a recession. Are, are you... You can't be serious. This is her going on. The discontent seems to be very real. The feelings about the direction of the economy seem to be largely negative. Why? Inflation is very high. It's unacceptably high. And Americans feel that every day. So that's it. When I, it's inflation. So the Inflation Reduction Act was going to fix all that. We just are concerned. And we should be concerned. We're going to continue to be concerned. I just don't want to see us give up. That's all. I just don't think that we should give up. 
Coming up in a few moments, you're going to have an opportunity. We're going to speak with Jerry Brown, Director of Media Relations at St. Mary's Food Bank, about what's going on with Feel Good Fridays, filling the shelves at St. Mary's, and getting an update on the need there. We're going to talk about all of that coming up in just a couple of moments. KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time on the show. As always, we have had frequent conversations with our friends over at St. Mary's Food Bank for the work that they've done. I call them the OG. They are the original food bank here in the country, and they've set such, such a great standard and set such a great example for others around and, and getting the community involved in making sure that we provide food and nourishment to as many people as possible here in the Valley. Joining us right now is Jerry Brown, the Director of Media Relations. Jerry, how are you? Mike, good to have nice, nice to be with you. We appreciate the time. Let's talk. Let's talk about what's happening in conjunction with our friends at the at the state fair. Oh, okay. So today is the final Feel Good Friday of the state fair. So far, in the first four weeks, we've collected one hundred and eighteen thousand pounds of food. We had twenty eight thousand last week, so we're about thirty thousand pounds short of our all time record, which was one hundred and forty five thousand pounds in two thousand and sixteen. So, if uh, people come out today, if you bring ten canned food items from noon to six p.m., you get in for free. You save the fifteen dollars. So, for a family of four, brings forty cans, they can save sixty bucks, and they can spend that inside on the fair and the rides instead of the admission price. So it's a really cool deal, and this canned food could not come to us at a better time, Mike. Yeah, let's talk about that with the need. The last time we talked, it was a twofold need. There's always the need for cash donations and for food, but there was a need for volunteers because boxes were being taken out so quickly that it was hard to keep up with the demand for those emergency food boxes. How is that going? You know, volunteers are up as we get close to the holidays. This time last year, across the street at our main facility, we were we were serving about 650 families. When you came out here, that number had jumped to 900 this summer. Yesterday, we served 1,122 families. Wow. So we have not reached the top of this yet. Uh, every time we think that this starts to flatten and that maybe we've seen the peak, we get another jump. That, that was an all-time record for the most we've served in, at, at one day at that one location between our two main locations yesterday 1500 families came through and mike we've been talking about that that one dollar equals seven meals for how long that's actually not the case right now i mean between inflation and all the food we're buying and the fact that a lot of our donated food which is always factored into that one dollar equals seven meals we're just not getting the donated food that we had in the past and we're buying so much of it you've been to the grocery store you've seen it's 25 to 30 percent increases it's one one in it's it's six meals for a dollar trending towards five dollars for every dollar right now because uh, we're just in an area and in a time that in my 14 in my 14 years at the food bank we've never seen but it still is amazing and i'm glad you brought up that statistic that it's dropping because food has gotten so much more expensive so the needs are also greater but the the ability of saint mary's food bank for as long as you've been there for your ability to be so frugal with with everything that's donated to you whether it's it's product or it's money that statistic is still staggering that you're getting six meals out of them for a dollar that is still doing very very well and being good stewards of donated food and money 
and we've been able to do one in seven meals all the way up until this this time. Uh, that that breaks down to about fourteen cents a meal. Uh, Ninety. If you donate a dollar to St. Mary's, ninety five percent of that money goes right back into our programs, right back into feeding people, right into getting our trucks to the places that they need to go. Uh, only about five percent go to salaries. So uh, if you, I mean, there are a lot of charities that do fifty, sixty, sixty five percent. St. Mary's prides itself on making sure that every last penny of your donated dollar goes to where you want it to, and that's to help feed people. So if people are going out to the, to the fair between noon and six today, the last Feel Good Friday, trying to get you over that that uh, that record number of, of donations. But if they can't get if they're not going out to the state fair tonight or this afternoon, can they donate online or do you need or do you want non-perishable food items? Would you rather have cash, a combination of both? And how can people give? Yep. Cash is great. Um, you can go to stmaryfoodbank.org and make a donation. You can go to either one of our food bank locations. And I want to talk about one more event we're having sure. tomorrow. Yes. In, 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 uh, in, in cooperation with the Phoenix Police Department and Comerica Bank, we're having a shred-a-thon tomorrow at uh, the Capitol. West Jefferson and 17th Street, right in the Capitol Mall area. You can bring all of your shred items. And I know you talk a lot about personal uh, personal identifications and making sure that you, you keep yourself safe. You can bring down as much shred as you can put in your car, and we'll shred it for you for free. If you can make a cash donation or a food donation to St. Mary's Food Bank, we certainly appreciate it. 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. tomorrow, 17th Avenue in Jefferson in the Capitol Mall area. The Phoenix Police will be on hand to make sure that everything stays safe safe and secure and you can get all of that stuff in your house that could per- that could could wind up hurting you if it gets in the wrong hands out of it and shredded that is such a great i'm glad you brought that up I, I i just completely spaced asking you about it because that was really why i wanted to talk to you because it it, it, it seems <laughs> right. kind of it seems out of place for for a food bank to do this but helping families stay secure and then asking people if they can donate while they're there it's a it's a great partnership i think Right. And we really appreciate Comerica Bank and the Phoenix Department, Police Department and Iron Mountain bringing us in as a partner. Normally they do this for, as, a, as a free event mm-hmm. so that people can get all of this done. But they're, 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 they're recognizing that St. Mary's Food Bank needs help right now. And they're asking folks if they want to make a donation as they're driving through the line, as they're waiting to get their uh, record shredded. If they want to bring a canned food item, bring a few canned food items or bring a check or a, a few bucks. That it always helps out St. Mary's Food Bank, and you're getting a great service at the same time. Let me ask you one more question before I let you go. Uh, obviously, the holidays are upon us, and the news stories that are out there are saying Thanksgiving is going to be so much more expensive for families. What does that do to your organization when you see those prices, specifically on a Thanksgiving dinner, going up? Uh, it, it, it really does. It really in the three days leading up to Thanksgiving. Uh, Mike, we expect to, to, to distribute 18,000 turkeys, 18,000 food boxes and produce bags. All of those turkeys are costing more. All of those food boxes are costing more. Uh, the, the grocery rescue that we're receiving from grocery stores, and you guys talked about this on, on your show earlier in the week with the different sizes that, that aren't being made by, by food companies now. So maybe you only see one size jar. Well, that's stuff that if they were putting out a new item or if they were putting out a new brand, some of that would wind up at the food bank. That's not happening right now. So all of the things are going up. A, a turkey used to be $10. Now it's $20. So it's, 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 
all of that puts into making it a lot more expensive. But when you have the amount of people that we have in Phoenix that need this help, what do you do? And that's what St. Mary's does is try to make sure that we feed everybody we possibly can. Jerry, I appreciate the hard work you do so much. And thanks for sharing it with the audience. And hopefully it helps and people get out to the state fair and bring some stuff. Or maybe they'll jump online and donate. Thanks, Mike. And thanks for being such a great champion for not only St. Mary's, but all the other organizations in town. We all appreciate it. Yep, it's an honor. Thanks, man. That is uh, Jerry Brown, Director of Media Relations at St. Mary's Food Bank. If you can help, now's the time. We talk about intentional giving. Uh, obviously, people are more mindful toward the holidays, but that need jump from 650 to 900 to 1,122 emergency food boxes yesterday is a staggering number. They have a high need, and it is, uh, it's tough. If you can at all give, every penny counts. Big or small would be terrific to St. Mary's Food Bank. Let's see if we can help out this holiday season. Coming up in a moment, um, why is big money being spent in school board races? And is it going to change how we view schools and school boards? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show this Friday morning. A lot to talk about. We're going to move into a little bit more. We've talked about races and campaigns and candidates. And what's interesting to me is one of the most important things I think any of us can vote for is also one of the things that is largely ignored or is one of the things that we are most uninformed about when we go to the polls. That is school board races. And I think that's come to light over the last year or so after we've watched online learning that uh, parents are becoming more and more interested in not only what their children are learning, uh, who's teaching them, but you know where the curriculum is coming from, what the thrust is, what the uh, urgency is, what the what is necessary and what isn't, and so we're seeing this. The headline was uh, it's an opinion piece out of the USA Today, but it's an interesting headline. Big money is targeting school board races this election. Our reporters give it. Or our reporters investigate why. This is from the USA Today. Who is funding and supporting school board candidates? Well, what we're seeing is a renewed interest in this. We as a, we as parents, I think all of us and former students, we assumed that schools were run the way they were previously, and that's not always the case. Um, I am not someone that is an all or nothing. Everyone always never have been that way. But what we have seen is a surprising number of school districts here in Arizona, and I'm going to stick just to Arizona, that seem to want to exclude parents from participation if the parents are going to disagree with what the schools are doing. And that, to me, is outrageous. It really is. Um, we have to take a look at what the parental role is in schools. The PT or parent-teacher association, whatever it's now called in districts, is different now than when we were kids. I don't know if they still have room mothers or not. Or were they? I guess we better, better be politically correct and call them room parents. But the association and connection between parents and teachers was a necessary part of a well-rounded education. When a child is not um, not excelling in the classroom and not getting extra help at home, when the parents are uninformed about the struggles in the classroom, the communication breakdown is terrible. So we've argued about schools and what to do with schools, and what we keep hearing about is money, money, money. We're under. Funded. We're underfunded. And when you look at the results, we're not seeing results, and it's frustrating. 
But when you look at the curriculum that's being chosen, and this is something, I, you know, again, I, I'm in my opinions about where things are are educated opinions, even if you disagree with them. It's an educated opinion. I went and educated myself on this, and all parents should. Um, if you have a child in school, you should know what they're spending money on because if you have a great teacher in your school that is going to leave because he or she is being enticed by more money either in another school or in another industry, you should be upset that they're not able to pay that teacher what he or she is worth. And if you take a look at what they're spending money on in other curriculums outside of what would be the basics of education, it's odd that we have schools called traditional schools. A traditional school means old school. It's back to the way it used to be. That's what a traditional school largely is, that they are not going after some of the different curriculums that some of the public schools are. And that's what parents should be asking. I understand that we get caught up in this conversation about good and bad. We do. Uh, I don't like that. I don't want that. That's inappropriate. And some of them are. Let's be honest. There are some things that many, many, many parents deem as inappropriate, certainly age inappropriate for their child. But if we're talking about prioritization, how many of us, whether you own a business or it's your personal finances, how many of you, when money is tight, when you believe you don't have enough money, you have to really sit down and prioritize. You have to make sure you pay your mortgage or your rent. You got to make sure you pay your electric bill. You got to make sure there's food in the house. You got to make your car payments so you can get to work. You got to pay for your insurance. You've got basics that you must pay and you prioritize them in order. And when cuts have to be made, there are valuable things. There are things you find valuable that just don't make the cut. It's unfortunate sometimes, but it's necessary in difficult times. So I would say to any school district out there, I mean this respectfully, if you believe that you are underfunded and you can't give teachers the money that they are worth to do their jobs, then you need to take a good hard look at the curriculum and the other things that you're spending money on. And so should the parents and the parents should ask reasonable, good questions. Why are we spending all this money to train teachers and buy this curriculum for this? It has nothing to do with math or reading. Why are science teachers talking about this and not science? Those are reasonable questions. It doesn't have to be political. It doesn't have to be angry, but it does have to be practical. And that's a practical question. If you're flush with cash and kids are excelling in reading and math skills and everybody is humming along and you're introducing new programs, it's hard to argue that. But when the children can't read, when they are lacking in math skills, when that is not excelling, when you are seeing schools say they don't have enough money to retain good teachers, you have to start asking the question, well, then what? where do you cut spending in other areas to make sure that the essentials are being paid for and fully funded, which is teacher salaries and curriculum? that benefits them and the basic skills they're going to need for life. How am I speaking out of turn? What am I saying that's out of line? And the answer is I'm not. And if you dig into your school district and you say, okay, I want to see what you're teaching and what you're spending, what money you're spending on these curriculums. And you look and you're pleased with what you see, you should shout it from the rooftops. I'm My child is in a school district that is efficient and kids are learning and excelling. But if you see places where it doesn't seem reasonable to you, you as a parent have every right to ask that question. So I go back to the beginning of this. Why is so much money being spent on school board races? It's because parents in Scottsdale went to school board meetings and complained. And what happened? A parent got doxxed by the father of a school board president. 
Parents were called domestic terrorists by the largest school board administration or organization in the nation, the National School Board Association, called parents domestic terrorists and implored the federal government to ask them to have the FBI intervene and investigate parents. That letter was really written. They say when they got all the backlash for saying domestic terrorists that the language in that letter and the meaning in that letter was discussed with the White House before it was formally written, that there was input from the White House in the, in the messaging in that letter. That's why parents are making changes. When parents are going to school board meetings, when they're having conversations about things that are appropriate and inappropriate and they're shouted down or they're told to leave or their microphones are shut off or the police are called, they are going to run for these offices. They are going to. If you want to turn a, a, a parent into an activist, do something that they deem is wrong for their child and you watch how they respond. And it's happening. It is happening all over the country, not just here in Arizona. And I'll tell you, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think coupled with school choice and new blood on the school boards, we are going to see in the next few years dramatic changes in education in Arizona. And if it isn't working, I'll complain about them, too, that they have to get their act together. But right now, schools are failing in Arizona to educate children with the basics. Whatever we have to do to get that on track is what we should be doing, period. And we'll see what these school board changes do. Coming up after 10 o'clock, um, we were going to talk about Terry Lake versus the media, the fallout after the break in at Hobbs campaign office. And we're going to talk a little bit more of the, if they are on the right track with what they're saying next.